Thank you for joining our podcast. We hope that this message will both teach and encourage you. Here's today's message. Amen. Thank you. And good morning. It's good to see you one week after a celebration of the 245th birthday of the United States of America. And here we are in this this place, and I do need to own up to something. We were able to fix the PowerPoint that shows on the screens out in the lobby, but the video that runs, that was already pre-made. And so Cindy was half right and half wrong on both counts, and she was in no-win territory. This was wrong. It said 430, and the location of course, has changed as well. And so uh, appreciate everybody's flexibility in uh, being able to make that adjustment. And we want to let you know that uh, uh, we're looking forward to this summer especially, and it may carry on, that, that once a month the guys get together and build fellowship and getting to know one another. We're going to be doing that uh, this evening on Sunday. It worked out for Sunday because of scheduling. And what we're wanting to do is actually have some Manly Mondays. I like that. I, that's a PR part of me right there, Manly Mondays. And in that, this case, I was hoping for a meat-filled Manly Monday, but we had to have it on Sunday instead. And so that's all been provided. So all of the men, young men, uh, please come out. There's going to be cornhole, horseshoes. I think there's going to be some golf clubs and some chipping. Chipping, not hitting drives, because there are neighbors. And just a time together from 6 to 7.30. Looking forward to... Monday, and we're, we're going to set this up, on, there's a dirt track up at the Texas Motor Speedway, and so it's only $10, and the grandstands open at 7, the race starts at 8, and that's something that guys like to do, be around a controlled combustion of explosions of fuel and, uh, and death-defying dirt track racing, and so that's going to be going on in August, and we're looking possibly taking in a ball game in September, and just looking ahead to do that on a Monday, just to get together, build relationship. If we're not careful, we, we just pass each other, go our separate ways. We're involved working in other things, and we're looking for ways to enhance and to build fellowship. And so that'll be an, it'll switch around the interests of what we do, and uh, there's going to be times you're going to say, oh, wonderful, that's just what I love to do. And there's going to be these times of, what? We're going to be doing that, and it's just going to be one big happy family uh, going as men and doing that. And so we just wanted to encourage you about that. I wanted to let you know that for the next two weeks, we have the pulpit capably covered with our staff, uh, with ministry, as well as with a guest minister, Deacon Joy Silverman. Many of you remember Deacon Joy. They're going to be covering one Sunday. Tasha and I are going to be off on a little R&R for vacation. And then uh, we'll be back with you. I'm going to be gone in the middle of the week for a general council meeting in August. And so we're taking care of that vacation time. Wanted to let you know in advance we won't be here next Sunday and the Sunday after that, just in case you felt you were baited and switched or what happened to Pastor Doug. Just want to let you know it was all planned. It was a time of vacation in Florida and up in Missouri, in Branson. And just pray for us as, as we're away for traveling mercies, favor as we minister uh, to her family in Florida, and a time of, of rest and reinvigoration, and coming back ready with some creativity, some anointing, ready to go into the fall and what God has for Vision Church. Amen? Amen. And so I just want to commend to you beforehand the capable ministry of Pastor Steve and Pastor Cindy, Pastor Brian, 
as they're going to be here. Anything that you need while we're gone, they are standing ready to help you with it, in case, unless it's a loan. Uh, I don't think maybe they would be. Everybody's pointing to Steve on that. So, uh, <laughs> so let's go forth. Uh, there's something that we, we punched pause on and we dealt with the idea of freedom last week. And now we roll back into something we were looking at in the third chapter of the book of Acts. The book of Acts. I like that word. That's action. That's an action of acting, of, of actually doing something background for that is we can look at Joshua chapter 3. I think it's interesting we can look at Joshua chapter 3 and we're going to connect back with that uh, just to, to make this point. We're talking about consecration, devotion, or addiction. We're talking about this idea of getting ready. Turn to your neighbor and say, get ready. <laughs> Any Anything that is a worthy event or action requires preparation of getting You know, God's God and He's in control. And so if He wants to do something, who can stop Him? I'm certainly not going to. So if God's involved, it's going to happen. Which believed in areas by different gods and they were constantly changing their minds and making life miserable for human beings. And it was our job not to question why but to do or die. That's all that humans were fated to do. That's a human philosophy. That's a Greek-Gentile philosophy. It is not a biblical teaching. It is not the truth of the Word of God. The Word of God teaches something entirely different. And that is God is certainly willing and desiring to do things. In fact, He's not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. What's God's will? That none would perish, but that all would come to repentance. Does that mean that all will not perish and all will come to repentance? No. Then who can reject God's will? And the answer is a troubling one to the Greek philosopher and to the Gentile and to the pagan. And that is anybody who rejects him and refuses him and does not receive him cannot walk into the benefits of God's will because he has given us the power to choose and so something very powerful that we can do a way that we can act is to prepare ourselves. and we hear those words and they're certainly ringing in my heart and i hope that by saying them over and over i can help them to strike a chord in your heart and ring in your heart and those are the words of joshua who said consecrate yourselves and tomorrow the lord will do amazing things we want to reconnect that was right there around that uh, that helpful visual aid there as we talked about the 12 stones of memorial day. that goes all to memorial day in may and we're still connecting that idea there are four features of the very best addiction ever now i don't raise your hand and confess it but how many of you have a chocolate addiction hmm. how many of you have a certain show that's kind of an addiction don't raise your hand don't point somebody out. Don't hold up any cardboard placards filled out with an arrow over to your neighbor. We wrestle with things that we that we feel like we're addicted to, we're devoted to, we're consecrated to. Now, there are good addictions and there are bad addictions. The problem is not the idea of addiction. The problem is to what or whom are you addicted? To what end are you addicted? And God invites us by the power of the Holy Spirit 
and by everything he invites us all into the very best addiction ever. And that is, Jesus would say, if you desire water you can ask of me, you can drink living water, and you'll what? Never thirst again. That's the problem with water. And how many of you would say, I'm an H2O addict? Right? Whether you want to or not, your body lets you know, hey, it's time to get a drink It's of water. It's time for you to rehydrate. That may not come across that sophisticated, but the smallest child believes they're dying when on vacation. It's been 1.2 hours since their last beverage. Now, we as adults, we're smart, and we know there's a direct correlation between the amount of beverage they drink and the amount of stops that we make. And so we just try to calculate what's the minimum amount of moisture intake we can do so that we can be sure that we don't stop every 45 minutes going down the road. So it's it's very natural for us to desire. What is that? That's an addiction. And what we're, we're we are addicted to water. We are addicted to food. We are addicted to shelter. We are addicted to cleanliness. Right? <laughs> we're addicted to smelling good. We invest in those things because those are good addictions. But let me tell you what the greatest addiction ever, and that is to addict ourselves to the Lord in the four following ways: in our doctrine. Be addicted to doctrine. Now, some of us are going to say, yeah, I did that, but forget the other three. How about a well-balanced approach? Let's be addicted to the truth as taught in the Word of God about God and us and everything in between. How about fellowship, where we connect with other people in the body of Christ, even though they're weird? Even though they're strange, even though they have different personalities that we do, and everybody knows that somebody who's different than I am is weird or strange or abnormal. But the fact of the matter is we need fellowship. We're built stronger through fellowship. How about the breaking of bread together? Now, those of us that are addicted to food, we say amen. What kind of bread, Pastor? Fresh-baked French loaf? Is it a sourdough loaf? Is it a honey wheat? What is it? Breaking bread together. Where there's something powerful that when we open our mouths to eat, we open our hearts and our ears to listen and to connect. And so we connect ourselves, we addict ourselves to breaking the bread together, and what we do every Sunday here is we lit, remember the death of the Lord Jesus Christ till he returns again. Because he said, as often as you do this, whenever you do this, wherever you do this, to what extent that you do this, you're going to be talking about what I accomplished for you in my death, and you're also going to be looking forward to my second coming. Isn't that powerful? That's what we do in the act of breaking bread together and opening our heart and opening our ears and building bridges of connection. And then finally, prayer. There are so many kinds of prayer. Everybody in the world knows about the help me God prayer. They know about, I really need this. And most of us know, everybody knows about, I really want that. The I want that prayer looks very much like the list that's handed to Santa Claus at Christmas. I want the new bike. I want the new car. I want the new job. I want the boss that loves me. I want the doubling of the pay, so on and so forth. All of these things, the I wants, I desires. But prayer is more than that. It's opening our heart and life to him. It's lifting thanks 
It's lifting praise. It's lifting the depths of the anguish of our heart. It's confiding in the presence of God. It is listening to Him and hearing what He has to say. It's connecting when partnering with God in the Great Commission and going out and accomplishing something, acting upon that which we have been praying. Amazing things happen as a result of alignment and action. Change the amazing things happen. Today is an introduction. This is what we do. We think it's just important to align all the time, but we don't know how to act. We don't know what to say and we don't know what to do. And if we're not careful, we become mute Christians. In the third chapter, we have the, the we have the preparation in Joshua chapter three. Three, we move at three o'clock in the afternoon. Isn't that interesting? I just think that's interesting. Okay, that's all. I'm just just pastor thinks here's some things that are interesting. Then Peter said, "You see, it's at the time of prayer, and during the time of prayer, they're going to go through 17 or 18 different prayers they're going to offer. There's going to be scripture that's going to be read, and there's going to be answering back and forth through a sing-song voice prayers that all of these people have been taught all of their life, and it's a wonderful experience as they know what to say, how to stand, when to do it, and it sweeps people up into the presence of God." That's what they're about to go do at 3 o'clock one afternoon at the time of prayer. On the way to prayer, on the way to pray a prayer, which is, Lord, heal us and we shall be healed. Lord, save us and we shall be saved. Here is a man who has been outside of the prayer hall. He has been situated here at the beautiful gate near Solomon's colonnade. And as he sits there, people walk by him to go and pray that prayer. But here is a man who has not himself directly benefited from the prayer. Why? Because there needs to be somebody of action who connects with the somebody of prayer. There needs to be somebody who not only lifts that prayer, but begins to look for an opportunity for that prayer to have an amen, for that prayer to have a yes, for that prayer to have a solution to it. So then Peter said, because this man had looked to them expecting something. I, I left off last time we talked about don't divert our gaze from somebody who has a need. We often don't know how to deal with them, but we need to be able to go ahead and quit avoiding that place where we can act, that place that we can act. Here is a person who is expecting a normal thing. It's called a donation. So then Peter looks at him. And said, silver or gold, I do not have. How many of you ever felt like, hey, buddy, I'm broke too? <laughs> I don't have anything. I'm living paycheck to paycheck just like you are. I'm, I'm not the solution for your financial woes. Because if I was to give here, it would just grow the amount of demand that would be placed upon me. I don't have it. He says, silver or gold, I do not have. But listen to this. But what I do have, I give you. What I do have, I give you. Peter has, begun, has caught on to something that Jesus has taught them for three years. 
He has put them in position with a miracle of the feeding of 5,000 and the feeding of 4,000. He has questioned them that day, especially Philip, and he said, Philip, Philip, what can we do? We need to feed these people. And he did this to test Philip. And Philip's answer was, we don't have enough. Send them away. They can still go to the villages, and they can all practice hospitality, and they can all be fed. Then we can all come back tomorrow, and everything will be fine. In fact, I label the feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000 as an unnecessary miracle. Why? Because those people could have gotten help elsewhere. They could have gotten bread and fish elsewhere. The value of hospitality was held in the towns. They had places where they could have gotten the resources. He says, send them away. He's not saying, send them away to die. He's saying, Lord, send them away. They can spend their own money. They have come out here. They're doubtlessly ready to go. But you know, Jesus wants to meet people in their perceived area of need. These people are at a moment of, what do we do? We've been out here for a while. Jesus has compassion upon them, which means he's talking above and beyond the normal human level. This is something that God is at work doing. And Peter has begun to, began to catch on to something, and that is that God wants to do something remarkable and amazing through his people to show that he is on the scene, that he is loving them that he is caring for them and it wasn't as if it's not enough that jesus himself was given as the lamb of god that god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son but there is something that continues to be flowing through god's people that can go to people who are in darkness something that's a flow through everybody say flow through There's a powerful principle that we see that Jesus was teaching his disciples, and that is that they have been given stuff in order to give it away. Now, how many of you much prefer to be a bank than a flow-through? Think about that. (laughs) You know what? I I like the idea of banking. I like the idea of being able to look and say, man, I've... If this happens, we've got this covered, this covered, wise and prudential stewardship. I I understand it. I think that's a strong biblical value. But there is a sense that there is a flow-through, that the blessings of God and that the goodness of God is meant to be a flow-through. We don't receive things like the Dead Sea and not let anything out. We receive things with a sense of, okay, I have received from the Lord, and we hear these words of Jesus, freely you have received, freely what? give now let's be honest though when we get a hold of a little bit extra what do we want to do save it for a rainy day well what do you know today's july the 11th and it's raining (laughs) kind of unusual in july but we've been getting some rain so we saved it for a rainy day now it's time to let it flow through now it's time to pass from us to someone else and peter has caught on Peter's gotten that lesson. Look, God does amazing things in my life so that I can turn turn around and share that overflow and give it away to someone else. And I don't have to be afraid. God always leaves a grace behind that blesses me beyond belief right out of my socks. But he has a powerful grace that he wants to entrust to me so he can flow it through me. If God can trust you to give it away, he can entrust it to you. Amen? If you can't trust you to give it away, he'll generally not trust to give it to you. 
He doesn't want you to become a dead sea. He wants you to become a river. He wants you to be flowing rivers of living water out of you. And because there's a demand, there's something downstream that is receiving eagerly that there is something that can then flow through. He says, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. How do you like that one? Look at the connection. Talk about a grand leap in logic. What do you actually have? And you know you have received. That he had. He knew that he had the grace and the favor of God upon him. He knew it wasn't because of his righteousness, but because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And he knew that if he stood in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, then everything that Jesus given to Peter and the Holy Spirit how to turn it loose. The same Holy Spirit that had been uh, uh, providing grace to and through Jesus. The same Holy Spirit which had touched Peter's life and he had seen miracles in the ministry of Jesus as well as at his own hands. He knew something. This is not something that's supposed to happen for a fleeting second. This is something that's supposed to be a part of my life day in and day out. So we can ask ourselves the question this morning, what do I actually have? I know I have received. Is it assurance of salvation? God has done in your life that when you see somebody else, you can look at them and say, I can't help you with this and this, but here's one thing that I can do. I can talk to you about something that God has done in my life. I see that your life and my life is very similar at one point on my timeline. You're not going to believe this, but at one time on my timeline, I was right there where you are, and I'm here to tell you this is not a random pinball game that we're in but there is a god in heaven who loves us so much that he gave his son and he has a plan and a destiny for your life if you will just trust him amen give the lord a hand clap what do you actually have and you know you have received it and you can give it away you know i have a testimony of healing from asthma you know what that you know what that works in my life? When I encounter somebody dealing with breathing problems, there is a connection there between me and that person that's suffering. There's a thankfulness in my heart that I did not suffer all my life from that because Jesus touched me at the age of 11 or 12 and forever healed me from a terrible asthma. And when I encounter that, I can then pray for people with the f- amount of faith that a lot of other people can't pray. It's not about how great I am. It's about how great Jesus is, and there's something I know. I know that I know that I know that Jesus can heal bronchial conditions and asthmatic conditions and breathing problems. And so when somebody presents with a breathing issue, I immediately go back to those days when I was 12, and I say, look, I don't have an answer. I don't have the medication. I don't have a breathing treatment, but I do have a healer I know. I do have an, a, something that happened in my life, and just as I've received now, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to stand, and I'm going to believe with you. Amen? Give the Lord a hand clap. 
What kind of healings happened in your life? What kind of scenario has gone down? What have you been rescued from? You can look at somebody in the eye. You can't look at everybody this way, but there can be somebody you connect with that the Holy Spirit highlights for you, and you say, you know what? I see me 10 years ago. I see me 20 years ago. I see me last week. And I know something between then and now, I've received something from the Lord Jesus Christ. And he didn't just give it to me for me. He gave it to me so that it could flow through me and release through me to some other people. Peter got that lesson. Yay, Peter. (laughs) Now, let's go on a little bit further because this is instructive for us. Let's not look at this and say, well, that's a superstar in the faith. That was Peter, one of the chief apostles. No, no, this was a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're born again, what does that make you? A disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in this case, we're observing a healing ministry burgeoning in the life of Peter. It may mean healing for you, but it may mean something else in your life. You have to realize this is what Jesus has done for me, and he's done it for me so I could share it and give it away. He says, taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. You ever notice that before? Taking him by what hand? The right hand, which is what? The hand of strength. It's the place of a person's life that they feel like that maybe with a little help they could get it done. That's not a bad thing. He puts forth his best hand. He puts forth a hand of honor. And he reaches into this person's life, grabs him by the right hand. And what does he do? What does Peter do? Helps him up now if the man becomes a sack of potatoes and resists guess what's going to happen no transaction of grace god doesn't go around slapping people in the head and dumping grace on them this is something that calls upon peter to act everybody say the word act he has to act so this is this book in this sense is a book of acts is going to tell us about the acts of peter The acts of Peter, empowered by the Holy Spirit, stirred by faith, and attempting to walk in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. Continuing the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ upon the earth, as the Lord Jesus Christ is exalted and seated at the right hand of the Father. Ever living to make intercession. And the same Jesus who said, if I go away, I'll not only prepare for you a place that where I am you may be also, but I'm going to go and greater things shall you do, because you're going to be in my name and I'm going to the Father and standing in your stead. Amen? That'll build your faith. Peter knows that Jesus has ascended and that he is being prayed for. He takes this man by the right hand and helped him up. Don't you know that was an awkward moment? How many people were walking by saying, what in heaven's name are you doing to interrupt this man that has been laid at the beautiful gate for day in and day out for years? He he instantly, and then it says, and instantly... The man's feet and ankles became strong. Do you see what Peter's doing? Peter's doing his part. What's his part? Taking the man by the right hand and helping him up. Now, some of you are saying, well, if God wants to do something, he doesn't need our help. He doesn't need our help. He has invited us into cooperation. And he's looking for us to instigate and initiate some things. 
He's looking for us to say, the kingdom of heaven wants to visit this spot, and it's not going to happen unless one of his representatives acts. I need to act. I can't just sit by as a bump on the log waiting to say, yay, God, for the next thing he does. I need to be standing there signing up and saying, God, you want to do great and mighty things in my life, in the life of my family, in the life of my church, in the life of my community, in the life of my coworkers. And you are asking not because you need, but because you're a loving father and you're, tut- you're creating sons and daughters and raising them up to do things to give you glory and honor and praise in the earth. We need to be willing to take somebody by the right hand and help them up. How many of you feel really exposed about that moment? Try that on somebody in a wheelchair. Hey, stand up. I believe Jesus wants to heal you. Oops. You might get embarrassed. Yeah, you might. It might not work out. Yeah, you're right. It might not work out. But it's a whole lot better than leaving them in that situation. Peter doesn't know what's about to happen. He's stepping out by faith, taking him by the right hand. He helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. Here's the question. Where can you engage your faith in the life of someone else? Now, has Peter seen people healed before? Yes, he has. Has Peter experienced it this more than I am and more than you are? But what is this instructive for us for? Wherever it is that the Lord is calling us to engage, wherever it is that the Lord is calling to act, it's no different if it's going to be the healing of the man at the beautiful gate or if it's going to be sharing a word of encouragement with somebody at the office over a cup of coffee. It's going to take being willing to take them by the right hand, being willing to engage with them, and being willing to pull on them in the direction of God. Hello? Some of you say, Pastor, you had me with a cup of coffee. I was there. But now you have me pulling them towards God. That's not my job. That's God's. No, that's your job. That's your job and my job is to exercise a pull on faith, to pull on people, to exercise that tension in their life that says, let me see if they'll be if they'll respond. Let's see if there's any movement towards God in this situation. Now, notice I didn't say drag. Does the story read they grabbed him, dragged him down the steps into the temple? Boom, 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 boom. Now he not only needs prayer for that, but now all the bumps and bruises they've just inflicted on him. No. Where can you engage your faith in the life of someone else and on their behalf? And let's not be covert about it all the time. Let's be a little bolder. How many of you know we need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? One of the main reasons is... Because we need to become bold and act in people's lives in such a way that we risk embarrassment. Hello? How many of you know that's our mortal enemy? Embarrassing somebody. Where can you engage your faith in the life of someone else and on their behalf? Some of us are overwhelmed still with the idea of the miracle. You know some people that could really use some physical healing. But maybe your response to God and your faith towards God and your experience with God is not there. But it is at the place of encouragement. It is at the place of invitation. It is at the place of being a bringer. 
It isn't isn't the case of saying, come and go with me to my church. Come and go and sit with me in our church. Be a part of our worship. Hear, Hear the preaching of the word. We know that we're all imperfect here. We all know we can improve from the preaching to the praise to the worship to the ushering to everything that we could with or trying to improve our building. Everything, we're, we all are an improvement project, amen? But we can't wait until we're perfect and done before we do anything at all. So we engage faith in the life of somebody else and on their behalf. And notice the results. By the way, the results are up to God. Some of us act as if the results are up to us. Do you know that you can share the gospel with somebody and they can reject? Not your fault. Their their responsibility. Do you know that you can pull on somebody and encourage them in the Lord and they can respond positively? Not your, not your fault. It's God's and theirs. It's between them and God. We're responsible for the engagement. They're responsible for the response. And it says this. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Do you realize how miraculous this is? If somebody has been paralyzed, in fact, I was having a conversation with Brother David Wilson this morning. He recently had neck surgery to replace a bulged disc. Praise God, the tingling's going away and everything else. But now, after the effects of the surgery, you have to recover your strength. There's something amazing when you undergo major surgery. And how many of you know major surgery is only the surgery you have? It's minor surgery when somebody else has it. When you undergo major surgery of moving aside your windpipe, burrowing in, replacing a disc, amazing. He's now the million-dollar man. Now he's got to recover his strength. That's been a major ordeal. Now, we're praying and inviting everybody to continue to blend their faith together. We have seen wonderful answers, even through the medical community on this, and we're praising God for that, aren't we? Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. But here's something that happened instantly. Now, anybody who's in medical science knows this. You have to go through a time of recovery of your abilities. If you've had knee replacement, Buddy's got two of them. Talk about a bionic man, and he can run 60 miles an hour because of those. Now, he doesn't show off. He's a humble guy. He doesn't do that. Some of you are all distracted now. All you can see is Buddy out there running 60 miles an hour. But I remember Buddy walking laps in front of our house because we used to live just around the corner from the McIntyres, and he would be out faithfully walking, 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 walking. Why? Because he was trying to get back full use of those knees. It takes time. But how many of you know when God's grace hits powerfully that something happens to the timeline? And here's a man that should have required years of physical rehab But instead, instantly his muscles were strengthened and his brain reconnected to the nerves of those muscles. They were no longer firing and the brain ignoring them. But something was done neurologically. Something was done in the musculature. Something was done in the bones. There was bam, bam, pop, wham. And the grace of God hit that man. And he jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple. How do you like that? There's some people who might say, thank you, now I'm going my way. 
not him. He said, I'm, where are you going? We're on our way to a prayer meeting. We're on our way to 3 o'clock prayer time, and we're going to be praying in there some Thanksgiving prayers. How about if you join us? He says, I've got some thanking to do to God. I've been lifting up, God, if you will heal us, we will be healed. I have been shouting, if you will save us, we will be saved. And now I'm standing here as the evidence of God's healing. And this proves it resoundingly to me. He is mighty to save. Would you give the Lord a hand clap? Are you ready for the spectacular and awesome to happen in your world? Sometimes we just sell God short. That's what we do. Well, these things are so rare. They happen once in a century, once in a lifetime. I've heard the stories who have prayed and sought God, but I'm here to tell you there's people who have prayed for years and then had awesome breakthrough and something happened in the space of a week that had been prepared for in the space of 10 years of prayer. They were people who got before the Lord and interceded and prayed and prepared and consecrated themselves and they stood upon a promise that says, if you will consecrate yourselves to me, I will do amazing things among you. Are you ready for the spectacular? When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging. Isn't that a great story? Hey, I know you. I've seen your face every day for years at 3 o'clock prayer. I've seen you always on the outside, never on the inside. I've seen you outside of the temple because you were forbidden by law to be in the temple because it said if you are lame in your feet, you cannot enter past the in, the court of the children and the women. And you've always been on the outside. I'm here to tell you, God is wanting to take some people who have been always on the outside, always seen themselves on the outside, and he wants to take them and move them right into the inner courts. He wants to do something powerful in their life. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Here's, here's a great question for us to consider this morning as the worship team comes. And they're going to lead us in two more uh, worship songs. And as they do, we're going to get to respond to this. We're going to allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives and work in our hearts and bring us to a point of response. Here's a great question. Do you really believe that God is desiring to provide evidence for the skeptics and the strugglers. Let me say that again. Do you really believe that God is desiring to provide evidence for the skeptics and the strugglers? Here's what we think, if we're not careful. More blessed are those who have never seen and yet believe. Do you know how few those people are? <laughs> how many of you had to see like Thomas, we condemn him so much, but he's just typical. Thomas is not exceptional. He's typical. Except I see the hole in his side. Except I see the nail prints in his hand. Except I actually handle him. It's going to be really hard for me to believe. You know what Jesus says? He doesn't come and slap him up the back of his head and say, what's wrong with you, knucklehead? Jesus comes to Thomas and says, here I am. Handle me interact with me 
Don't any longer be pushed back into unbelief, but press in to believe. It's better, yes, if for somebody doesn't see and yet believes, but I'm here to tell you something. God has come in flesh. God has stepped into our world and continues to step into our world because he's looking for a way to provide tangible evidence to the skeptics and the strugglers. That those people who will say, now I know there is a God in heaven. Now I know that he knows my name and he knows my situation and my circumstance because you have come to them with a word of encouragement of scripture. You have come to them with your story of God's transforming grace. You've tugged on their hand and you pulled on them a little bit and their response is, I believe I feel the tug of God. I believe I hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. I believe there's something going on here and I'm going to respond. Do we really believe that God is desiring to provide evidence for the skeptics and the strugglers? As Tasha comes to lead in worship, let's just find that place of prayer. Maybe it's turning around at the seat, coming up to the front. There's a few available seats up here or up around the altar rails. Maybe it's just sitting right there and closing yourself in in this time of worship and saying, honestly, Lord, I want to believe. Help my unbelief. Lord, I don't want to be a person who just finds it easily to believe. I want to be somebody who acts. Lord, I want you. You've given me some great things. Help me to take an inventory. And I want to take this and I want to give it away. Lord, you've done these things in my life and you've given them to me. Not so I would keep them in like the Dead Sea, but I would let them go like the Jordan River and flow some life to somebody else. What this is all about is bringing glory, honor, and praise to Jesus. That's what it's about. And it's in those simple, small things that we say, well, that's not going to take a great heavy anointing to do that. But it's going to take you pulling on somebody's life, opening a conversation, becoming uncomfortable. But by the grace and the power, we can do all things through Christ, which gives us strength. That's why we're anointed with the Spirit. Because otherwise we would be scared spitless. That's just the facts. We'd struggle. We wouldn't even take a step. So I just want to encourage you this week to begin to take those steps. Say those words no matter how small. Listen to that nudge of the Spirit. When Peter went by, there had to have been a nudge of the Spirit that said, Now is his time. Do you realize that Jesus walked by that man? many times didn't feel the nudge of the spirit didn't act but that day Peter acted and it changed his life the life of the church and the life of that temple that day for the great timing of God so I just want to speak a blessing over us as we go out into that world to make a difference and to lift up Jesus and bring him praise and glory may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be upon you May the nudge of the Holy Spirit raise up within you, nudge you, give you that word, that nudge in the right direction. And may you find a courage given to you by that same Holy Spirit to speak, to step, to pull, to extend the hand, to invite, to move into an action that means grace that's been given to you, passing through you into somebody's life. May the grace and the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be upon you as you go. In Jesus' name, amen.